Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. So it's a episode with us today. V. Yeah, I was I was itching for a conversation with my girl. So yeah, I said I said let's just get on and talk. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's so many things we're often like, yeah, this would make a really good conversation to talk about on the podcast. We should do that, and then a lot of times we just forget to press record. So I'm proud mm-hmm. of us for doing it tonight. Same. Especially because it's 7 p.m., which for me is like tired bedtime time. <laughs> 7 um, p.m. on a Saturday when you could be sleeping. <laughs> Who am I? What is life? <laughs> this is our life. Yeah. Um, so what we talked about today and, and wanted to kind of get on here and just like roll around it a bit was something that I feel like has come up a few times. Um, you know, I do like a ask me questions therapy Thursday thing, usually every week on my Instagram. So I've gotten a couple variations of this question asked. Um, it's also come up with clients, uh, and, and honestly, personally Mm. in my own way. And, um, it really has to do with parenting, um, specifically mothering, Mm-hmm. during COVID and what this is looking like and all of the kind of pressure and emotional pressure that's coming along with it. Um, yeah. So I was going to read a question that, that came in specifically, but, but what are your thoughts on that today? Yeah. I mean, I, you told me about the question and you read it and I just thought it was such a like potent way of dropping into what I'm hearing from so many mothers, you know, mm-hmm. um, that all of us across the board, men, women, people without children have hit a wall of sorts, mm-hmm. but there is something about parenting during this time and certainly like motherhood right now just feels like next level difficulty. And maybe it feels that way for us. And I'm certainly, um, interested to hear it from dad's perspectives. And I do talk to dads about it a little bit, but there's something about the emotional weight of motherhood during all of this that feels um, impossible. Impossible is the word that just comes up constantly um, Mm -hmm. invalidating what I think so many of us are experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you said earlier, like no matter what you do, it just never feels like enough. Oh my gosh. You know, I was telling you, you know, um, And I think that there is not a mother who can't sort of resonate with the experience of this, but like coming in, like to say goodnight to your kiddo or something, knowing you have to go back to work and him looking up at you with these big eyes, like, mommy, are you done working? Are you going to stay with me? And it's just like knife to the heart, right? Like Mm -hmm. no matter how much time you spend with your kid, it just, it never feels like enough. And I feel like for moms a lot of time it's such a push and pull in that like I love what I do so much I always want to be doing the work that I do I get so excited and I'm so grateful that I get to do work that I love this much and yet I always feel a little bit like oh that means whenever I have free time I should be with him yeah and it's hard because I also need time to just be with me you know um but it's so hard to take it. Do you feel that? 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you were saying that I was reminded of, um, God, I wish I knew the percentage or like the actual, um, the stat that I read in an article very recently. And it said something like, um, today's parents spend, and it was actually specifically mothers. I'm going to paraphrase. It was something like today's moms spend, let's say three times more time making that up, uh, with their children Mm. than previous generations and actually spend like almost that exact amount of time, like out of the house or like working or doing other things too. So basically it was like, if you looked at, and it was specifically talking about like kind of boomer generation, like in the fifties, it was Mm. like, they did less out of the house Mm. and actually spent like three times less time with their children. Hmm than we do now. And so it, it really was speaking to like this, this idea, or like, I would say epidemic of like helicopter parenting, yeah. um, and how much more pressure we put on ourselves, our generation puts on ourselves with parenting and our children and raising our children. Um, and I'm not saying that, like, we need to go back to how it was in the 50s, right? Where parents were like, all right, get out. I'll see you in a few hours. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe we should actually, because I quite enjoyed that a lot of times, but um, cigarette in the mouth while they're playing yeah, with bubble exactly. wrap <laughs> with, a, with a glass of wine and just right. being like, you know, it's mommy's time. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't know, like, there is a part of that, that I think we've it's almost like we've course corrected too far. Mm. Like we've tried so hard to be like, okay, we're not going to parent in the way that they parent or parented. Um, and we've swung that pendulum too far. And so now you have like helicopter parenting, you know, now you have this, my kid's schedule is packed from, I mean, we're talking pre COVID days, right? Like when play dates were a thing, but like play dates and swim lessons and soccer and this and that, and I'm picking them up and I'm dropping them off and it's just kind of go, go, go. Um, and tutors and like, I'm going to be all on top of them when it comes to schooling and like the right school and private schools and charter schools. And it's like, I don't remember ever hearing my mom talk about that at all. I mean, yeah, she drove me around night cheerleading and stuff like that, but it was kind of just like a, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. (laughs) I don't know. She just, it felt very clear with my mom. Like, no, this is my time. Like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. It's so God, you know, as you say that, I'm just thinking of how often, parenting is a lot of course correcting Mm. what we feel like we didn't get right like I remember so often I don't know just like my mom wanting me to have things that she didn't have or you know like maybe she didn't grow up with as much money and so she like was just like very much like course correcting like the experience of I don't want my kid to go without anything, Mm -hmm. or I want you to grow up in a two-parent household because I didn't have that. Like it was very much in reaction to experiences that she felt like she didn't have growing up. And I feel myself doing that, you know, that like, I felt like my mom worked a lot, you know, and God, she was like such an amazing mother, but a lot of times like I longed for like more time with her that Mm -hmm. she didn't feel busy. And so I feel like a lot of times my experience of me as a mother is sort of in reaction to something that I felt when I was a kid. Yeah. And I think we're onto something there. I mean, I think that, you know, I say that a lot, even in, um, couples work or like, I've said this in parenting before where I've talked to clients and I've said, basically be careful 
how hard you try to push against like my parent did it this way. So I'm going to do it the opposite um, because you're going to end up doing it in a way that you also don't like, and you don't feel comfortable with. It doesn't sit well with you because it's, again, it's a pendulum. It's like you, you push so far that you end up in the other extreme of not healthy. Right. Whereas it's really finding kind of that middle ground. It's finding like, okay, I didn't like this, but I did like this what would it feel like if I took two steps this way instead of like 20 steps this way? Um, Mm -hmm. And then course correcting, you know, like maybe pivoting, trying it again, pivoting. So yeah, I think, I think a lot of us as parents pre pandemic, our, our um, generation had already done that. We've already pushed so far against kind of that old, the other way of parenting that now we've got this helicopter parent thing going on and now we're in lockdown. So let's read the email, like, yeah. and, you know, or yeah, in reference to where we are in this moment with lockdown. Okay. So she wrote to me and put this in a DM and I actually asked her to put it into my um, IG, asked me a question so that I could answer it for everybody, which I did. And I'll, I'll speak a little bit to what I said to her, but she said, I saw and agree with a post that you did about couples not staying together for the kids. The kids feel it, but it made me think, do kids feel it when their mom hates being a stay-at-home mother? Mm. Am I fucking them up being with them when I don't want to? Can I fake it enough for them not to feel it? The impacts of COVID, parentheses, no options for childcare in my rural town and school canceled for my oldest makes me staying at home with them the only option for my family. Mm. And I thought, you and probably so many other people. I mean, myself yeah. included in my own way. Oh God. Yeah. I just felt her so hard. You I know. know. And I loved her honesty actually, you know, I mean, yeah. obviously she DM me one-on-one, but she did put the same thing. I was impressed into the question. Um, she got really raw. It felt very vulnerable, especially to mm. admit, like, I hate this. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that we're talking about this and that we use the word impossible because I feel like I have said that to so many parents. Um, and you know, we talk about this a lot that it just feels like, oh, and this is such a, you know, gender normative statement, but it, it feels like the weight on mothers is different. You know, there's just so much, um, there's this thing that we talk about a lot where we sort of like anticipate like what could go wrong in a way sometimes that it feels like the dads don't do. And Mm -hmm. I might be specifically speaking to, I don't know, like, I don't even know how much of that is like my, my paranoia or like it's actual real, or it's just like, you know, those mommy spidey senses that get fired about things. But um, I don't know. I think we're always sort of, 10 steps ahead of what could conceivably happen, what needs to happen. I definitely did not have that, you know, before I was a mom, but so much of that kicked in as I became a mother. And it feels like the emotional weight of what we're carrying is just so much heavier. Mm. And all these moms are, in addition to carrying all of that, mothering 24 seven. And so even if they're not doing it as a single mom, it feels like the weight I'm carrying is so much out of balance with my partner. Yeah. And you know, what I, what I actually said to her, um, you know, I did speak to like, if you took the mothering part out of what you asked me, like the question that you asked me, Mm. 
and I was coaching you, you know, I do a lot of like career and life transition coaching. Mm -hmm. You sound to me just like somebody who's teetering on the edge of burnout in their career. Mm. The words that you're using, the way that you're using your language, like you're burning out. Burnout is real. Mm -hmm. It's a form of anxiety, right? And I said to her like, well, doesn't it make sense? I mean, it's almost like I pose it as like, partly can we be compassionate to ourselves? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not a bad mom that I have gotten to the point where I am up to my eyeballs. I'm fucking burnt. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. It doesn't mean you don't love your children. It doesn't mean that you're a horrible mom. It means that you're a human being and you've hit your threshold, which all of us have, especially if you're doing it like she's saying, you know, rural town, no help, um, potentially single. We don't know, but yeah, man, like you're burnt out. Can that be okay? I mean, that would be my first question. I mean, it can be okay. And it is, you know, often the reality right now. And then what do I do with that though? You know, I think that's the tough thing because as you know, we've talked about, I think if anything, what this last year has put this huge black light on, um, spotlight on is the fact that the way that we function as a society is not right. Like there's some real substantial problems with this, that we don't have a village to support us. That if we, something like this happens, like there's so many ways that I've seen, um, families starting to like figure out solutions that involve their community, right? Like all of our kids aren't in school. They're all trying to do this Zoom learning. So let's do pods in the backyard. Let's try to figure out like, you know, a college kid that we can have come teach a bunch of kids something, which in so many ways, it feels like we should have been doing some of this in a communal way anyway, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because then we get in situations where I'm out by myself in a rural area, I'm drowning, I'm burnt out, but there's no solution for me. Like, what do Mm -hmm. I do? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like the, I guess the tangible tools that I, that I tried to give her were just, um, you know, I I guess when I say like, can it be okay? I guess it's more from like a place of, can we not think that we're horrible humans for Mm. feeling that way? Right. Cause you're not, like I said, you're just human. Absolutely. And that's super normal. Everything that she said, she spoke to in that. Um, you know, and I guess what I was saying to her is, um, this idea of burnout, um, finding tiny little moments for yourself, which I know Mm. most people are going to like roll their eyes at and be like, yeah, good luck. Um, Mm. but you know, it's like, she has an older one. So like, if I was working with her one-on-one, I might say like, how old is this older one? And like, is she, he old enough to sit with the little ones for 10 minutes, even while you take a walk? Um, or do you put the little ones in strollers and you take a walk, um, you know, tiny little instances where you can kind of grab and hold onto with two hands that are moments for you, um, I think are really important. And this idea of being present in the moment where, can you notice the way your kid smiles at you Mm. in an instant and just say, okay, in this instant, this moment right now, I feel in my body the sensation of love. I feel in my body this, this warmth and this knowing that I love this other being, yeah. period. And can that be enough in that moment to keep you going 
right? Like, can we separate out the, I'm a bad mom from the actually, no, I love my kids. Here's this moment that shows me, that proves to me, but it doesn't mean that I have to be happy with what's going on right now. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, absolutely to what you're saying. And, you know, a couple things that I feel like we've talked about before is that I have I've really felt so strongly and have said to so many clients, it is really important that we lower expectations mm. as we would in any moment that is a crisis, that all of the expectations of like, I'm going to be the most present helicopter doing every activity, playing with you every moment, parent. No, sometimes there's going to be moments of independent play and that's important and that's okay. And you go lock yourself in the bathroom for 15 minutes or whatever it is. Um, do my kids feel mm. what's going on with me? Of course they do. And it's okay to normalize for them. This is so hard mm -hmm. because it's hard for them too. You know, I'm really struggling um, with just feeling overwhelmed sometimes. And it does not mean that mommy doesn't love you. Mommy's just frustrated. I think our kids are going through this with us. Mm -hmm. And the more that we give them space to feel frustrated by modeling for them. Yeah, it is so frustrating that you can't be with your friends at school right now. I feel it too, you know? I'm tired of this too. Um, I just think it gives them space to feel the truth of what they're feeling. Yeah, and I think that it's important too, you know, so many of us get into, and I, I think this is actually also this whole helicopter parenting thing. We want our kids to see us as perfect. Mm-hmm. We never want our kids to see us screw up or fail or, you know, do something wrong or whatever. And I tell so many people that that is so much more detrimental Absolutely. than being honest, right? Um, because kids know they're smart. I don't care how young they are. I mean, of course you got to do it in ways that are developmentally appropriate, right? But they know, they feel, they sense, like they are such intuitive empathic little beings. Cause that's how we're all born. Yes. Um, and we logic that stuff out of them by pretending we pretend that we're perfect. We don't humanize ourselves. We don't say to our kids, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm really frustrated right now. I need to take 10 minutes for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what happens is they start to believe that there's something wrong with them for feeling those feelings, or they start to think, I know something's going on, but you're denying something's going on. So one of two things is happening. Either you're lying and I can't trust you, mm. or my internal sense is wrong and I can't trust me. Yeah. And we know like where their brain development is. It's always like the internal, like mm -hmm. I am wrong. I'm the problem. This is something I'm doing. Right. So they internalize what we don't help them understand by naming it, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. I think that not only is it important for us to sort of, they not only do they know, but they have this incredible sense of injustice, right? Mm. And there's something that like, they internalize some sort of shame or some sort of like, this is me being a problem, bad, whatever. If we don't give them space to say, yeah, mom's going to own that. I just fell short because I'm overwhelmed and I'm tired. And what I should have done was say, I need 10 minutes, buddy. You know, um, 
if you could just like color for a few minutes or whatever it is while mom takes a minute, um, that's just going to, in the long run, like you're saying, be so much more beneficial to them understanding like and how they process what's happening in the world mm-hmm. around them, you know? And as somebody who has a baby, right. Who's like 11, whatever, 11 months old, she's not going to understand that. And so here's another thing for parents out there who have little ones. Mm -hmm. It's also okay sometimes when you're feeling like you're at your threshold to put the baby in the crib and walk out of the room. Absolutely. You know, like that is actually, again, long run, it's better for them for you to actually make sure they're safe, but walk out Mm -hmm. of the room and take some time, do some breathing, right? Do some mindful walking, whatever your thing is. um, Then in your head, it's like, I have to be here. I have to spend this moment with them, even though I feel like I'm at a level 10 and I'm about to explode. And so what they're going to feel from you, even if they're 11 months and not able to really put words to it, right? Is they're going to feel your frustration. They're going to feel that you don't want to be around them. They're Mm. going to feel that you're, you know, um, the impatience and all the things that are going on. Um, and so if you, if they're too young to talk to, I think it's also important that you still take that time for you, even if it's five minutes. Yeah. And I feel like we always, like, I don't know, I think we're surprised by just giving ourselves what we need. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that thing we talk about a lot of times, like, have you ever been, um, I use this example with clients a lot, like, have you ever been in school or something and you're so tired that you can barely keep your eyes open, but you're like fighting the tired because you don't want the teacher to see you falling asleep. Um, so you're like fighting, fighting, fighting. But if you were to just close your eyes, like if you were to make the decision to like stop fighting it and close your eyes, it actually, something happens. And I can't remember which of our teachers was talking about this when we were in school, but something happens when we give our nervous system, like what it needs that it suddenly doesn't need. It's like the fighting against the thing Mm -hmm. that we need makes it so much bigger. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we just honor, like, I am tired, I need to close my eyes for a minute. All of a sudden our system sort of like recalibrates and it's okay. Mm. And the tired doesn't feel as strong if we just surrender to it, right? So if it's like you said, if it's just like, I need a minute, that does not make me a bad parent. I'm just going to give myself a few minutes to walk away. All of a sudden, all of the tension that we're feeling inside of our body just starts to settle and soften a little bit, you know? I'm thinking about a moment when Logan was very young, probably only like, I don't know, maybe six, eight weeks or something. And I was really starting to do work around, and I'm still working on this, this idea of what's my, um, like, what's a level 10 for me. Mm. And I liked numbering it for myself because what I've started to practice, what I have been practicing since she was born is getting really familiar with my internal level. Mm. You know, when am I at a six? When am I at an eight? Um, And rather than getting myself to an eight or a nine before I give myself the five minute pause, the timeout, whatever it is, trying to give it to myself when I'm at a six or a seven. Mm. Um, Because once I'm at an eight or a nine, first off, it is a very quick, like trigger moment into an 11, Mm -hmm. right? Also, I don't really like myself that much when I'm at a nine, even if I'm, even if I'm still in my range and I haven't busted out and lost my shit yet, I don't really like myself when I'm functioning at a nine, right? Um, So for me and everybody's level is going to be different. It's been a lot of like, what is a seven? 
That's been like my magic number, you know? And if I notice that I'm at a seven, can I pause and walk away or whatever, breathe um, to get myself even to like a six or a five where I know like I enjoy being with myself so much more when I'm at that place. And so if I'm listening to this, I'm going to want to know, like, how do you tell? Um, what are some of the sensations in your body that feel like a seven? How have you um, just learned to tap into what the different levels feel like for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, the transition, I actually feel like a six to a seven is probably one of the biggest jumps. Um, a six is like, there might be like a slight irritation there, but I'm still very present. Mm-hmm. Um, a seven is when the irritation starts to kind of like really kind of bubble to the surface. Right. So for me personally, anxiety manifests as irritation. Mm-hmm. It, it manifests as irritability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also know that when I start to get really snappy um, and like feeling very resentful, there's anxiety in that because I know that that's how it manifests for me. So um, resentment for me is a big one. Noticing and paying attention to that. Snappiness is a big one. Noticing when I, it's almost like I can't control that I sound nasty. Hmm. Even if I'm trying not to be, even if what I'm saying, I don't even mean for it to be, it comes out mothering. It comes out finger waggy. It comes out snippy. It comes out whatever, passive aggressive, right? So my internal system, when I'm clicking into that seven, it's that it's when it's when the snippiness and the irritability starts to surface. If I let it keep going, it comes out as an explosion. Hmm. So it comes out as me really snapping, biting someone's head off. We'll say my partner, most likely biting his head off. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I said, just feeling very icky in my body. So like sensation wise, I get hot, my chest gets tight my stomach gets tight. There's that burning. It starts to actually feel more angry. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like, okay, I'm starting to feel irritable, which is anxiety, or I'm starting to feel fucking mad. Yeah. You know, and it's not to say that we can't feel mad. Obviously mad is okay. And it's normal, but when it's in that specific, um, kind of scenario, I don't want to let myself get to mad because I can actually help myself not get there if I just take mm. care of myself at a six. Yeah. I, know. I love so much that you're speaking to anxiety manifesting in irritation and mm-hmm. snippiness and anger. Um, I was talking to a parent, a client of mine this week, it's actually a dad who was talking about how much he realized that he was using, you know, and this is a little bit where we got to at the end of the conversation, but he was using his children as a tool to sort of regulate his emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Like controlling them, irritation with like how they're doing at school, what's not happening with them at school. And when they were good, he was sitting with himself and realized I need something to control. I need mm-hmm. something to do. If they're okay, I'm left with me. And that is intolerable because I have a lot of anxiety right now. Yeah. Right. So I just think it's really important for us to talk about some of the ways that we think of anxiety manifesting isn't necessarily the way that anxiety is showing up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of us, 
as we've been in these close quarters for almost a year now, it is like irritation that like quickly shifts into some anger, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we give ourselves the moment, like you're talking about to really step back and tend to ourselves, what we'll realize is I am flooded Mm -hmm. in anxiety right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And overwhelm, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're saying that, I was thinking to myself, I thought I love my partner so much and I really want to miss him mm. again. <laughs> and I know I am putting words to things that I'm yeah. sure people out there are being like, hell yeah. You know, oh it's my like God. Um, going into an office or just like going to a friend's house for the day or an evening or something like, I really want to miss him. Um, and this whole quarantine thing does not give room for that. And so I'm just speaking to the truth. I don't know well, I don't an answer for it, but. And can we say this, that that's even true of our kids and that's the harder totally. truth to speak mm-hmm. out loud, right? Like um, if we're with our partners 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it feels like sometimes I just don't like you yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm always with you. Yeah. There are certain truths that are, you know, harder to speak, which is as parents, sometimes we're a little irritated with these kiddos because we're just with them nonstop right now. Nobody should be with people this often. I mean, (laughs) even the people we love most in the world, (laughs) right? Like, yeah. And I feel like there's so many things that I hear parents saying, like, I can't even say out loud to anyone, but it's what so many of us are feeling. I just want to be by myself. I just Mm -hmm. want to not have to be responsible for anyone for a minute, you know? I just want to, like, go have, like, dinner and drinks with my girlfriends or, like, you know, and, and not have to worry about kids and partner. And, yeah, I mean it's just the reality. Like we're all in such a similar boat in some form or another. And I'm glad that she wrote and, and I'm glad that she used the word hate. Honestly, like when she said, I hate it, I was like, Oh, I feel that so deeply. Mm. And I appreciate her giving us the opportunity to kind of talk about this because it was just such an instigator for me to also turn myself, like turn that inward and go, yeah, I'm kind of experiencing a little bit of that too. And so what advice, I guess, would I give her, but also it has to resonate with me too, mm. you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Like, what do we do with this as, you know, like, what's the lesson, I guess, is what's coming up for me yeah. because oh, hopefully we're shifting. Hopefully things are starting to be um, a little different. Hopefully at some point, you know, I, I feel like we're really fortunate in that we do have some support. You know, I have a kiddo who's in school, um, but hopefully for a lot of parents, there is going to be some relief, but what have we learned about, I don't know, how we need to take care of ourselves and one another maybe a little bit differently, how we need to set up our world for, um, I don't know, just not feeling like we're doing this by ourselves because there's got to be a way to tap out at some point. There's mm-hmm. got to be a way to um, to say I've reached a max, you know, and I've talked to a lot of parents about 
you know what, like we need to ask the other parents that we feel like I don't want to ask for help. If I have nobody else, like we got to reach out to community. Now's the time, you know, to say like, listen, can I drop my kiddo off tonight? I'll get your kiddo next Friday. Um, but we've got to, we've got to, that's like a little, I think for me, the thing that we have to learn from this time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the relying on other people. It's the asking for help. It's the, again, what's your six, what's your seven, mm-hmm. right? Like, can you tap into what that feels like for you so that you know how to give yourself the care in that place of six and seven so that you don't get to a nine or 10. Yes. Um, and then you're not in that place of burnout. You're not in that place of like, I don't like myself right now. Um, and I'm ashamed of how I'm showing up. Cause that's, I think what happens a lot. I mean, for myself, but also for people I've talked to, I let myself get to a 10, which look, no matter what you're going to get to a 10, we all have those moments. Um, but it's happened a lot, right? Like I've let myself mm-hmm. get to a 10 and then I feel ashamed after and okay. Well, so how do we get ourselves to live in that space of six, you know? And I think to your point, it's like, it's not just the temporary solution right now in this moment. It's also like, how are we going to restructure yes. what this looks like for us moving forward? Right. Cause like if somebody waved a wand right now and COVID wasn't a thing anymore, I don't want to go back to how we were beforehand. To me, that's the larger point. Like so much of what this has been is that we need to restructure the way we're doing society on so many mm-hmm. levels that is not working, right? Yep. Um, all of us worshiping at the altar of productivity, not working, you know, um, not not being aware of how certain aspects of society are impacting some of us, but not others of us not working, right? Like mm-hmm. we've got to sort of say like, what was all of this here to teach us. And I think some of like restructuring is the word that you use that I think is so spot on. We need to restructure the way that we've been doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like, you know, I have, um, I have like part-time help that comes to the house a few days a week so I can get work done. And there's been a couple of times where I've like banged through all my emails and I've done everything I need to do that day. And there are probably like larger projects that I could and should get started on. But like really in that moment, I'm, I'm okay. Like I've got things under control and there's a part of my, my brain and my body that goes maybe like unroll your mat and do some movement. Mm. And then there's a part of me that's like, no, like you're paying somebody to be here. You need to get work done. And so it's like, I will find work to do versus maybe meditating or moving my body, doing yoga, whatever, um, because that doesn't feel productive. And Mm -hmm. so it feels like I I don't allow myself that, like I shouldn't be allowed to have that when I'm on the clock. God, I just, you know, it resonates so deeply, but it's, it's what we do. You know, there's all these ways that we shame ourselves out of taking care of ourselves Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's, it's so, what we've got to figure out how to, like, it's so much easier for us to do that for those that we care about, right? Like, I can listen to you say that and feel on a guttural level, like, no, V, it's so important, right? Mm -hmm. It's so important. And you would say the same thing to me. And we both um, insist upon that for one another, but we've got to insist upon that for ourselves, you know, Um, if the compassion does not begin within. And 
this bad mother um, narrative that just like circulates in our head, like, can we just like beat that? Like, can we get rid of it? Um, we've got to be good enough. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's gotta be okay to be a good enough mother. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's just so many of us with such high standards of what we need to be in order to be not a bad mother that it's just, it's like, we're killing ourselves. Hmm. Well, I think we should figure out what that middle ground looks like between the 1950s housewife who drank wine at 1 PM and locked her kids out of the house. If any of you guys are David Sedaris fans, he actually has a whole story about this, which is probably one of my favorites where his mom does that, locks him out in the snow. <laughs> they like get snowed in for like a week or something. Cause there's like a blizzard. And so they're out of school for a week and she is like had it. And so at one point she like locks him and his sisters and brothers outside in the snow, like puts them in snowsuits and is like, get out of here, locks them out, turns the TV on, it's drinking wine, smoking cigarettes and he basically talks about how they're like trying to kill their little sister by having her lay down in the street because they're like well maybe if she gets hit by a car she'll let us in it's hilarious what Um, no you have to it's a david sedaris thing his his way of his humor is so dark but the point (laughs) in that digressive story is what's the middle ground can we not be david sedaris's mom and can we not be the mom that's like so freaking helicoptering, shaming? Mm-hmm. I can't even take 20 minutes for myself to freaking meditate, right? Yeah. Like I have to love being a mom at all times. And if I don't, I'm horrible. Um, you know, I have to be like this flowery, perfect, you know, apron on, cooking them every organic, wholesome meal, driving them all of these places all the time. Like it's such bullshit. And P.S. Not good for them. You know, like that's the thing I feel like we don't talk about enough that I loved in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. Like she's like, we are raising little assholes Assholes. by doing that. That's not good for them either. They should not think the sun rises and sets on their behinds. Like that is not good for our kiddos, you know? Yeah. I want to, I don't know if I can find it quickly while y'all are listening, but there's um, a new comedy special out on Netflix and this guy, oh my God, he talks about that. And so he talks about how he has two young daughters Mm. and they're like preteenish age. And he's like, do you remember a time when it wasn't all about the children? Like what was that day and age where like the kids didn't rule everything? And he tells this story about how his daughter gets in the car and she reaches in front of him to like turn the radio station and then like turns it up. And he goes, I just cannot imagine doing that in my father's car, reaching over him, turning off his music, putting I my music. And he goes, when I woke up from my coma three days later, I would have known. <laughs> and so again, it's like, what's the middle ground? Right? I mean, it, I've literally become that parent that like my three-year-old will be like, I don't want to watch this show. I'm tired of it. I, I'm like, when I was your age, you turned on the TV and whatever was on was what you watched, kid. None of this Netflix sailing through a hundred different titles. But In my that's... day, when I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow. I'm like, listen to me. I sound like 57,000 years old. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> How old I am? Thank you, V. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, man. I wish I could find this podcast while I got you guys on here, but I don't yeah. think I will. 
Anyway. But it's 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 middle ground. And I love that you talk about the way that we course correct and the pendulum swings to something that is not healthy for anybody, right? Like I remember spending so much of my childhood alone in my room entertaining myself. Oh, I loved it. And it was amazing. Like if you it. think about the imaginal space mm-hmm. of like having to entertain yourself and having to like create your own world. And I think in a lot of ways we are robbing this generation's children of that because like Doyle talk about that too it's like absolutely we're robbing them of boredom yeah like boredom is so important that's yeah. where imagination happens it's where ideas happen that's where self-discovery happens and we've robbed everybody of boredom right we give them a phone or a tablet but self-discovery you know I think it's like we talk about so often like what did you love doing when you were a kid what did you do when you would like play make-believe or like mm. dream and it's like we're not even giving our kids an opportunity to do that because it's like next task or I'm yeah. here to entertain you or what do you want to do together let's do something at all times you know that we're sort of robbing them of that yeah such a good point such a good point it's like if you go 20, 20 years in the future and a therapist asks them that, what are they even going to say? You know, they're not even going to have an answer to that question because they're not going to have through Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Screen time. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> also his name is Tom Papa, P-A-P-A. Okay. If you guys listening, it's worth it. It's a good laugh. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly entertained. Well, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad that you shared that message because I think it's, you know, we've got to be able to give voice to what so many of us are feeling and not talking about right now, you know? Yeah. And Brene Brown always says, you know, I'm going to, again, paraphrase because I'm horrible at remembering exact quotes, but she talks about how shame can't live Hmm. in the light, right? Like the second you put words to shame, it's no longer shame anymore. And so I think we need to do this more often where say the thing. You know, even if you feel like it's got to be in a private space, like to a therapist and their DMs, but like say the thing because it can't survive if you say it. Yeah. And it, we're always amazed. I think we are never alone in our truths, right? (laughs) There's always so many people surrounding us when we say the thing that we get this like resounding me too. And it's so healing to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. I know if you guys are struggling like us, hopefully some of this stuff <laughs> helped you or, you know, just again, took some of the the sting out of it or just gave you some tips or whatever, but I hope it was helpful. Yeah. Take care of yourselves, everybody. So if you're wanting to dig a little bit deeper into the conversations that we're having, we are both a part of a community called the Tat Lab. Some of the topics we lead groups in exploring are how to navigate the experience of singlehood after an expired relationship, reparenting yourself, and breaking down codependency from a 101 class to boundaries to perfectionism and self-worth. And if you're curious, you can go to tat-lab.com. Not only check us out there, but also all the other awesome therapists and coaches that lead groups on a ton of different topics. So we hope to see you guys there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.